welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church Lagos. We hope this sermon answers the doubts or questions that you have about the Gospel, its relevance to your life, and the ever-evolving culture around us. Our vision is to see the City of Lagos and beyond renewed by the Gospel, and to make that happen, we need your support. You can do this by rating this podcast, following us, and giving through the Give tab on our website, citychurchlagos.com. Thank you for your generosity. We pray this sermon impacts you positively with the gospel. Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. This is the word of the Lord. And thank you too, Ophiray. Thank you to me. It's not often I say that. Thank you to me. All right, good morning, everyone. Yeah, good morning once again. And uh, you're welcome. Uh, if your first time, again, we're welcoming you. We did that a few minutes ago, but maybe you've just walked in. And for those who are watching online, again, also, if it's your first time tuning in, we're so happy that you are doing so. Now, it's been announced that this is a new series or a mini-series. It sort of is because we're not really departing from the book of Mark. We're actually in the book of Mark. It's just that we're going to spend some time in a particular passage in the book of Mark, all right? And so that's here, this passage of Mark 1, 35 to 39. I think um, this series, this particular passage has been very important to me, particularly in the last year, uh, last two years. And I really do believe that it should become really important for us, well, for you individually, but for us as a church as well. And so I'll just ask us to pray uh, right now for God's spirit to be mightily among us. We've song about that. But now let's just pray one more time concerning that. Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, we do not want to go. If your presence does not go with us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you be with us. Move among us. Open up hearts. Open up minds. Let there be an entrance of your word. Let there be deep formation in Christ. Holy Spirit, we pray that this word today will be an answer to prayer for many of those who have come here. Lord, do something great among us, we pray. In Jesus' name. So we've been in the book of Mark and Mark chapter 1. And so far, what we've seen is, first of all, the fulfillment of prophecy by the guy called John the Baptist, who was meant to be the voice in the wilderness, preparing the way for the coming of God, but also the coming of the Messiah, which begs the question, is it the Messiah or is it God? And we understand that it is God incarnate who is the Messiah. Now, to affirm that, we saw that that prophet, John the Baptist, had to affirm 
that Messiah in the Jordan River. And when he affirmed him, also the voice of God came and the Spirit of God descended on him and he was also affirmed. We've also seen how when that Messiah hasn't been affirmed, he actually chose a number of people that will form his disciples, his uh, marching band, if you like, as he went ahead fulfilling the purpose of what the Messiah was meant to do. And last week, in dramatic form, we saw what the Messiah used to do. Not only did he teach and preach, but he healed and he cast out demons out of people. Now, if you are not as ordered as the writer Mark, you may be wondering, where are all these things just scattered here and there? They are not scattered. They are actually trying to show one thing. And you see that one thing in verses 14 and 15 of chapter one. This is the controlling center of the chapter, but I would say the controlling center of all of the book of Mark. After he had been baptized by John, what happened? John was put in prison. After that, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. What is that good news? The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come near. In other translations, we are are familiar with what we'll say, the kingdom or the dawning of the kingdom is here. So, essentially, as the Messiah comes, and now he wants to begin his ministry, he's saying, he's not just saying, I am proclaiming about a coming kingdom. He's saying, that kingdom is coming with me being around. And therefore, everything that he did was in relation to the bringing of that kingdom. So what he was doing was he was teaching about the coming of the kingdom. When he appointed his disciples, he was appointing people that would spread the kingdom, but people that would also enter into the kingdom. When he was casting out demons and when he was healing people, what he was saying was, in that kingdom, there will be no sick or no demonized person there. But when that kingdom now meets with this kingdom, where you have demonized and sick people, it brings about restoration. Jesus was about the kingdom because when Jesus came, the kingdom came. Now, if you go all the way to the end of the book of Mark, we see how that kingdom was established. You see, when he was here, he proclaimed the dawning of the kingdom. It's coming. By the time you get to the end of the book of Mark, now the kingdom has been established. How? In a way that people would not have understood. It was through his death. Because through his death, he defeated the one that had power over death, that is the devil. And then he rose again. So the kingdom is established in his death and his resurrection. Guess what? The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has already happened. So the kingdom has already started. Are we together? So he did everything that Jesus did, listen to me, was all about the establishment and the outworking of the kingdom of God. What's this whole thing about Jesus going to a solitary place? Did I just drop in in the, and was it an interruption in the agenda of the kingdom? Remember I said, no, everything that he did was all about his kingdom. And therefore, even going into the solitary place was about the kingdom. Early in the morning, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place to pray. Why is that important for us? Well, I'm going to be working on this premise, and you can put the quote up um, now. This is the main thing I want to do in this entire sermon series, and it is about this. 
for citizens of the kingdom to better experience the blessings of that kingdom and further spread the frontiers of that kingdom, they must follow the way of the king, Jesus. Did you catch that? If we are going to better, you might be in the kingdom, but if you are going to better experience the blessing of the kingdom, but also we have a task to spread the frontiers of the kingdom. We're not called to establish the kingdom. That's Jesus' job. But we are called to extend and spread the frontiers of the kingdom. If we are going to do that effectively, it's not going to be according to our own definitions of what the standards are. It's going to be when we follow the way of the king. And one of the ways we follow the way of the king is exactly doing exactly what Jesus did here. Jesus didn't just go into uh, the solitary place as a one-off here. In fact, it was his normal practice. Luke chapter 5 verse 16 says this, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. If we do this like Jesus, guess what? It would not be that we are escaping from reality. It will be this, that we are being snapped back into reality. And so I'm going to go through a number of things. Don't expect, I'm not going to tell you whether I have four points or five points or three points. Or I'm just walking. They said that today is very different from other days. So please follow me on this journey as we go into this passage. Now, the immediate verses before verse 35, Dami read to us and preached from it last week. But notice that Jesus was a very busy guy. You think you are busy. Jesus was very busy. Except that whilst you are doing woodwork and you are typing computers, filling out spreadsheets, checking out people, Jesus was just basically healing people. He was teaching and he was preaching and he was healing. You think your work schedule is hard? Look at what he says in 132 to verse 34. That evening, so Jesus was even working in the evening, first of all. He had worked all morning and afternoon. Then they now said that evening, after sunset, the sun has already set. People brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Just by the way, this is an aside. Some of you have seen me drink glucosid, and I want to just tell you, the reason why I'm drinking Lucozid now is because some people, you people have not stopped giving me Lucozid. Actually, has, once you saw it now, I've been getting supplies of Lucozid, supplies of Lucozid. First of all, these people have not come, they've not paid me any money for free advertisement. But second, some other people have told me, you need to watch your sugar intake. So please, can I just ask, thank you for everyone who has given me Lucozid. I have enough. All right? If you want to get me anything to drink, get me tea. All right, but just put it aside. Okay, and even now that I've said that now, please, you know, let's just be moderate. All right, now, Jesus was very busy. But yet, after this whole busyness, he says that he got up very early in the morning and went to a solitary place. What was Jesus doing when he was doing this? Let me tell you what he was doing. He was trying to avoid something very, very dangerous. It could have affected him and it certainly does affect us. Jesus was trying to avoid a hurried kind of life. A hurried kind of life. I like the way a pastor in New York called Rich Viodas puts it. He says, if you, uh, the way you avoid this hurried kind of life 
What it requires is that you pay attention to the inner space of your life, all right? It requires paying attention to the inner space of your soul and the outer pace of your life. Can we say that together? It requires what? Paying attention to the inner space of because the inner space and the outer and our outer space are very much linked. The way we feel on the inside and the way we feel and we, the way we behave on the outside are very much linked. They affect one another and they reflect each other. And so if you wanted to diagnose the typical modern Lagosian, what do you think the inner space, uh, 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 the inner so, uh, space of our soul looks like? Well, someone, uh, some mental professionals have already coined the term. They call it hurry sickness. What is hurry sickness? It's a behavioral pattern character, characterized by continual rushing in anxiousness. A behavioral pattern, so it's not a one-off, it is a pattern that is characterized by what? Continuous or continual rushing in anxiousness. It's not just that everything, the horn of the, you know, downfall drivers, all of those things, all those things that are happening, downfall drivers, people shouting, people abusing each other, it's just a reflection of what is on the inside. Because our lives are moving at a very frenetic pace, a breakneck speed that then all of a sudden affects our inside. But the inside itself is a reflection of what is on the outside. Or the inside starts to Reflect on the outside. Anxiety is ruling us and it leads to more anxiety. But let me tell you this. Hurry does far more damage to us than Mr. Yeah. Most of us just say, well, a hurried life is just making me sleep less. That is really bad. But it's a whole lot more. You see, a life of hurry stops you from dealing with some of the issues that are underneath in our soul. And if you don't believe you have something underneath your soul, that's the first problem. You have not even thought about it. There are many things that are driving the bad and disastrous decisions that we take every single day. Dealing with issues of sin under our soul. Dealing with issues of idolatry under our souls. Issues of disappointment. Issues of bitterness. Issues of trauma. Issues of fears. Many times you see people that are having problems in their marriage, in their relationship, in their places of work, all of those things. Speak to them, there may be a particular issue. This boss doesn't like me. This, this doesn't like me. But underneath that, there are things that they have not dealt with. And hurry prevents us from dealing with those things. We never want to deal with it because we're going from one meeting to another. We're going from one phone call to another. We're scrolling from one app to another. This is the sickness that hurry brings. But you know, there's another dark side to a hurried life. What is it? It has this, or oh, before I say that, because of all the things that hurry does, I remember there was a philosopher, a Christian philosopher late now, his name was Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard was asked once, what do you think Christians, a, a Christian can do to deepen their spiritual life in Christ? What is that one thing? that a modern person can do to deepen their spiritual life in Christ. And Dallas Willard paused for a while. And then he spoke affirmatively. He says, you must ruthlessly eliminate worry from, a hurry from your life. Notice, he didn't say get rid of hurry. He says you should what, fight hurry, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Why? He says hurry is the great spiritual enemy of our day. 
It wasn't life. Because there's another dark side to hurry, as I was about to say, that hurry has an, a, 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 an, a, a horrible way, an expert way, actually, of distorting reality. It has a way of distorting reality into our lives, in our lives. And I think Jesus would agree. In fact, Jesus was running away from that. That's why he went into the wilderness. And I say that because Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is the author of all scripture. And Jesus will have known, authored and read as a man, he will have read Psalm 46. And Psalm 46 tells us a lot about this. So I want us to quickly go to Psalm 46. In fact, we'll spend a little bit of time there. Many of us have read this psalm. It's a beautiful psalm. It has encouraged us in many ways. So let's start with the first verse. What does it say? That's uh, good. No, let's start again. Strength. An ever-present help in trouble. Amen. God is our refuge. God is our strength. God is an ever-present help in trouble. How many of us believe that? Virtually every Christian will believe it. We will believe it, that God truly is our refuge and strength. Now, but if you really believe it, guess what will happen? Verse 2 and verse 3 will be your absolute reality. What is verse 2 and verse 3? Give it to me. Therefore, we will not fear. How many of you have never feared before? How many of you are not even living in fear right now? He doesn't just say that we will not fear. He says we will not fear in particular situations. And he goes to the extreme. He says, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Right? He says, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with surging, we will not fear. Really? We are already scared of what our children will not be in 10 years' time. Forget the earth giving way. So if verse 1 tells us God is our refuge and our strength, and we say we believe it, but yet we are living breathing embodiment of the opposite of verse 2 and 3, then that means there is a disconnect. There is a disconnect between what we say we believe and what we really believe. And usually what happens, why we don't really believe it, is because of this. We look at the external reality, the chaos that is around, the surging and the foaming seas, the mountain being tossed into the sea. The earth shaking and giving way. We look at that diagnosis. You are scared of, well, the diagnosis doesn't happen. You've already gone for check for checkup. What will happen? We are scared that we have not been proposed to. And we are wondering what is going to happen. We are scared of that investment we just made. We are wondering what's going to happen. We are scared that we will be not be relevant again. We are scared what will happen. But God is our refuge and strength. Guys, there's a disconnect. And why is that disconnect happening? Let's break it down a little bit more. The problem is that we are fully fixed on the external realities. We look at all of these things and they are driving the way we view reality. Question for you. When he says that therefore we will not fear, did he say we will not fear because the earth will be stable? Did he say we will not fear because the seas are calm? So he's not saying that that reality doesn't exist. That reality exists. And so when we see the different things that are happening in our economy, the different things that you think will happen in the political sphere, we are getting moved. Why? Because that is what we focus on all the time. In fact, we often respond, if you are only viewing this reality, we often respond in three ways. One, fight. Second, flight. Third, freeze. Fight. What is fight? Well, some of us here are fixers. 
Some of us here are achievers. So once there is some kind of possible bad news, who can I call? What can we do? How can we strategize? How can we plan? We are moving in hurry to try to fix things. We are fighting the reality. Some other people, we flight. Yeah, wahala. We withdraw. We go away. We deny. We do positive confession. We declare and declare, declare and decree. We do all of these things. We are running or we are withdrawing. We fly. There is flight. And then the last one is freeze. For some of us, maybe it's our personality. Maybe it's things that have happened to us. We just become numb. We become inaccessible. No one can reach us. We refuse to talk to anybody. We refuse to talk to ourselves. We just stay numb. And the reason all of these things are happening is not because there is no real case for us to at least get perturbed. Is that that is the only thing we ever look at. We form our lives by one reality. And we forget that there is another reality. You see, because a truth that is only one aspect of the truth, though it is true, it is an in it is um, an incomplete truth and therefore it becomes an untruth. If you look at reality from only one perspective, it's not that it is not real. It's just that it's incom incomplete and therefore when you use it to make life's decisions, you are making a decision from not true reality. There is another reality. Though all of these things are happening, though the mountains are moving, though the earth is shaking, though the, foam, uh, the, the, the rivers are foaming, guess what? As the rivers are being, uh, the lies of this world are, are, are coming like a torrent of a river, the Bible says there is another river. Verse 4, it says, there is one reality, but there is another reality. There is what? A river. And that river is not like the river of the world. This river is able to make glad the people of God. You see, the problem is, we are unable to see both realities and then make a decision from there. And once we are fixated on only one reality, the external realities that make us hurry and make push us at this pace, what happens is that we are not just led to the fact that we didn't see one reality. We are led to the most fundamental ignorance of all. It wasn't just that there was a river. It was that there was someone in that river. It says, it is the place where the Most High dwells. Verse 5. It then says, God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of the verse 7. It says this. Go to verse 7. The Lord Almighty is with us. When we enter into a life of hurry, when we are suffering from hurried sickness, when busyness becomes the order of the day, guess what happens? We don't see God in the midst of everything. And can I say, at that point, you have to know that you are not in a good place. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Live in an overstimulated world. And as we are totally stimulated by what is happening externally, there is an anxiety that continues to rule us. Means that we are not in the best place. It doesn't mean that those things are not happening. It means that those things are the only things that you see. You don't see that there is a river and that there is a God in the midst of the river. May God cleanse our eyes today. Now, but before we move, because the problem is, why is it that we are so unaware of God? Now, before I offer some good things, it's before we move to what are the things we can do. 
let us actually try and find out where we really are. So, here's what we're going to do for about five, seven minutes. Hmm? We're going to do a survey, a quick survey. And we've gotten some questions from a place called Transforming Center in, in the US, wonderful group of people that are doing great work. They're giving you 16 questions. 16 questions, right? For those of us who have smartphones, I think the QR code is going to come up now, right? The QR code is going to be there. For those of us, so I need to move away. Am I okay there? All right. So, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on before you scan. Listen, listen. Instruction, people. Instruction. All right. 16 questions. There are 16 questions, right? Now, the best way you can do this thing is to sign up with your email because then you'll see the answers in your email. But if you have privacy concerns, first of all, let me say, if we get the, once we get those emails at the back end, we're just deleting everything. We don't really need the emails, right? But we're saying if you want to have the result and know exactly what you did so you can put your email, that's the best thing. But if you still don't want to, you have trust issues with us, right? Don't put your emails, right? But here's what you must not do. Here's what you must not do. When you finish and you click submit, don't close the page. Just leave the page where it is. What did I say? Don't close the page when you click submit. For those of us who don't have smartphones or don't have data or what have you, or you'd rather do it on paper, I think we have a few copies here. So if you want that, just indicate, okay? Now, there are 16 questions. There are five options to the question. Five options to the question, each question. One, quest one option is always, that's number one. Often, two. Sometimes, three. Rarely, four. Never, five. Read the question and just choose those options. Very simple. Any of those five. Which five best describe you? Which five best describe you? Okay, if you can't scan, you can also just type the link. Can you see that? ATT, ATTPS colon, uh, what's that? Is it? The, no. Forward slash twice bit dot ly. Okay, you can see it, chat. All right, so you can do that and uh, so quickly do it. Quickly do it. I need everyone. 16 questions, those five options, don't close. If you need a sheet of paper to fill, then do it. I'm going to time you. We have three minutes. Okay, four. Uh, oh, by the way, please be honest. Nobody's going to see your answer. Don't feel what you are trying to be. Don't feel what you have been confessing to be. Don't feel what you are hoping to be. Just feel what you are. Nobody is going to see it. It's just you. It's just your own. Tell your spouse next to you not to look at your, your work. As, as some are, are trying to finish. Here's what I need everyone to do now. Right? You all have your stuff in front of you. Most of you are finished. Now we'll do a little bit of mathematics. It's not hard. A little bit of mathematics. Anywhere you chose one, just is one. Anywhere you chose two, is two. Anywhere you chose three, is three. Anywhere you chose four, is four. Anywhere you chose five, is five. So add every single thing that you chose. Do you understand? So if question one, you chose sometimes, that is three. If question two, you chose never, that is five. 
So three plus five is eight. Do you understand that? Do you understand me? Right? No. Okay. Look, look up, look up, look up, look up. Every option you chose, they have numbers, aren't they? So each number you chose, just add. Add all the numbers that you chose. So if you chose for number one, option um, no, uh, two, that point, that's two points. If you chose for number 10, five, that's five. So just add all of them together. Do we understand? If, who, who, huh? No, don't forget that view score thing. Just forget the view score. Just go back. You can, I'm sure what you... View score. Okay, view score, yes. No, it's not meant to give a score. You are meant to do the score yourself. Yeah, so you see everything that you chose. Do, do we, we understand? Uh-huh, okay, some people are tracking. So see everything that you chose and just add them. For those who have paper, for those who have paper, right, just calculate what you have there. It's very, very simple. So just add the points for each. We understand. Who still doesn't understand? So once you press submit for those online, press view score and look at all those scores, okay? And I'll give you 30 seconds, half a minute for that. Half a minute, half a minute is going, is going, is going. Is going. How many of us don't have that, the total score? The total score it cannot be less than 16 and it cannot be more than 80. It can't be less than 16, it can't be more than 80. Huh? I mean, 1 times 16, 5 times 16. So have we all got our scores? Have we all got our scores? Who hasn't got their score? If you've not got your score, say amen. Because there are some people, oh yeah, now hurry up. Taiwo, didn't you? I know you work in HR, but you do some maths now. <laughs> HR people, yeah. You know, you know. All, your, all your calculation sheets, you people outsource. They bought, you bought from somewhere. It's all tra only training you can do. All right. Emmanuel, any update? Emmanuel, any update? Okay. All right. Okay. Let us, let's end there. Now, here's the thing. Remember I said what is happening is we are trying to Say, what place are we in? The fact that we can't see God as we ought to see God, what does that mean about us? Now, what we've done with these, with these questions is, is really a diagnostic to help us know where we really are. What is hurry doing to us? Now, we've come up, we've come up with some scores of where we are. Now, look up to this chart. There are six different places, if you've got this score, six different places. If you had 16 to 32, if you had 16 to 32, you are in a disastrous place. Then you can't see. Oh, now they can't see. Ah, well, for this, I can't move this from here. Get up. 16 to 32, disastrous place, right? Um, dangerous place, 33 to 48. Disturbing place, 49 to 56. Delicate place, 57 to 64. Dexterous place, if you're wondering what's dexterous, that's like, you know, promising, uh, you know, reassuring place. Dexterous place, 65 to 72. Delightful place, 73 to 80. We are not judging here. 
But at least, let us be honest, there's, a, there's some kind of assessment. And I want us to be deadly serious here. Right? That's why I said be honest. Because sometimes what happens is we say, yeah, I wish, I, wish I, you know, I could be better and all of these things. Let me tell you, this is part of the problem that some of us are having in our marriages. For some of us, actually, your boss is not the problem alone. And maybe sometimes some of you, you are, you, are, you, are, you are in a dangerous place and you are working for a boss that is in a disastrous place. That's... Now, I am not going to ask anybody to reveal their score. Can you, can you come up? But here's what I know. And we've taken, we can't use, we can't um, get the data for those who are writing with, um, with paper. But we've actually aggregated the score for all that have, everyone that has filled online. So we know where we are as a church. Because I'm sure that where, I'm sure that where, um, I'm sure that where the online people are is really where, is really where even the people on paper are. You can shout every, uh, all uh, up and about, the, uh, gospel-centered, everything, we're applying God. Let me tell you where we are. Our overall score, Forty-five point three eight, and I won't lie to you. When I was planning this, that's exactly where I knew that we'll be. So listen, everyone, listen, listen. This is what we completed, and some of you, where if it means that we are forty-five point three eight, some of us are below forty-five. I am almost sure. I can be sure. If you say that you are in a delightful place. Right? If you say you are in a delightful place, you have just proven to me that you are really in a disastrous place because you are lying to yourself at a very, very deep level. And I hope we take this seriously because the first place of healing is first admitting or seeing where you are. The reason why we don't see God is because we don't even have the ability to see ourselves. And now God is exposing this and saying, we are suffering from a horrid sickness. We should not be shouting, at least we are not in a, in a disastrous place. We are closer to the disastrous place than we are to even a delightful place. And this is not something actually to laugh about. Because honestly, when I looked at my own life a few years ago, I knew that I was, hurry sickness, it, I, was sink, I was inside. And yet I was preaching very good messages. Part of the problem, guys, is this. Why, I, why is it that we cannot see God. Because let me tell you this, the Bible tells you very clearly, God can be seen. He is not far from us. Acts chapter 17 verse 27 says, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. I hope you are seeing, because again, sometimes we may be looking at the average and maybe somebody is here and you say, I'm for, ah, ah me, I was, I was a, I was 52. All these people that are bringing down the average. Please don't look to the right or to the left. Look inwards. The problem is that we've lost an ability to see God. Why is it that we've lost an ability to see God? I think it is related to the fact that we have a deep problem. We've lost the ability to fully immerse ourselves in sensory experiences. We observe things, but we don't see things. Let me give an example of something that happened this week. 
I didn't tell the person I was going to share, but I'm just going to share it because I always say, when you're a pastor, you can use your, your family to preach, especially your wife all the time. Some of you know that my wife is a baker. Someone gave her, honestly, when I say, this is the, if you, if, you are, if you are in any form of business, if somebody gives you this kind of review, eh, it's like, in fact, just retire because you say there's nothing to work for again. Someone sent a five and a half minute review of a cake that my wife did. This one is not five stars. It's not written. The person recorded a voice note. And through that voice note, I realized that, you know, when it comes to appreciating something, there are three levels. The first level is if, I swear if the thing was good, let's say it was the cake and you said, ah, I tasted your cake. Ah, the cake was nice. And you move on. How do you think the person that baked it will feel? They'll feel okay. Because you didn't say the cake was bad. You didn't say uh, uh, there was hair inside. You didn't say, you said it was good. It tasted nice. That's level one of appreciation. But often that kind of thing can happen because maybe if the cake was really, really good, you just didn't have time to actually dip in. And she said she had tasted my wife's cake before, but that she was so busy doing many things. The second level is when you say, ah, I noticed, ah, there was the, the I'm sure you marinated your, fruits for at least three or six months because honestly the way it was tasting or or i noticed that you put some pecan you know in a very light way i noticed that the thing your your, your cream must have been whipped for a long time because it was so fluffy what is the person doing at level two they are noticing detail and they are telling the person that did it that i noticed this detail do you think the baker will be happier at level two or level one because at level two, they've noticed the detail. They've noticed the thing the person has done. They've noticed the investment and the time and the love that the person has put in. Someone notices. It's not that they're angry with the person that said your cake tastes nice. But they know that that person has not been able to really understand it. But there's a third level. And that third level is what this lady did. So he did a bit of level two to explain. But every time she say, ha, ah, yeah. When I tasted that, ah, God. You see, level three now is about facial expressions and grunts. It's just, it is, it is the reason why people cry at an opera. It is the reason why people can stand for 30 minutes and look at the painting. Many of us mock them and say, all these people, they've, they've, they've entered into, so they've read too much. That's why they're staring at a painting. Honestly, I won't lie to you. One of the things I used to love doing, these the cameras have spoiled this, I used to love going to people's houses and looking at their albums. Staring at the albums, asking questions about that person, asking the questions. And what people didn't realize was I was, being able, I was able to paint a picture of that person's life, the people that matter to them, and where they were going just by looking at albums. And the thing is, when that lady was talking about the cake, she was grunting. She was trying to say, I'm trying to communicate something to you, but I, I can't really use words. Why? Because she was enchanted by it. And what we have lost in this horrid life of ours is that we cannot be enchanted by things again. We look at things and we just look through them. Hurry sickness causes us to observe and not see. And so we listen to one form of music, one person's music, and we just change to the next song, change to the next song. And we don't notice what that bass guitar guy was doing, that particular riff that was causing the emotions in us. We don't see the change in the, in, in, the, in the drum pattern. We don't see what that particular riff on the piano was doing. We have lost the ability to be enchanted. And if we've lost the ability to be enchanted, we created things. What do you think we would do with the creator of all things? It is possible to see God, to observe God and not see him. 
Jacob was in a, Jacob went to a particular place. He just thought the place was ordinary. He slept. He had a dream. And in the dream, he saw that, that, that angels were going up and down. It was like the gateway to heaven. When he woke up from the dream, he said, Oh my God. In Genesis chapter 20, verse 16, he said, the Lord, when Jacob woke up his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not what? Aware of it. It is possible to observe God, friends, and not see God. And a horrid life stops us from doing that. When Jesus rose from the dead, Mary went. She saw him. She observed him. But she thought he was a gardener. She observed him and didn't see him. When Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus with two disciples, they listened to him. They observed him, but they did not see him. We've lost our ability to see, and therefore we can't be enchanted. And this is why we are more focused on other realities. And those realities are driving us. And that's why we live neurotic lives. The politics, the, 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 the earthquake, the bad news, the good news, all of these things. There is a torrent that is taking us. And we don't even know. But God says that there is a river. Another reality. You see, what this thing is doing to us is that we, we live cursory lives. Cursory. You know what I mean by cursory? It's where the word cursor, you know our mouth, right? We say, move the cursor, right? We live like our cursors. What do we do with our cursors? We just, we drag over the surface of things. We're here. We try to understand this one. We move to this one. As I, I, I can I saw something recently, two, three weeks ago. Somebody was directing traffic. As he was directing traffic, he was looking and scrolling through his phone on Facebook. We are so distracted. So we live very, very cursory lives. And we take those cursory lives, we bring it into our relationship with God. Three minutes here, church here, do this one, do that thing, do that. And so everything is so cursory. The best that we can do to actually have a deep experience is exactly what we do with our mouses. Click. The deepest experience we have with God is click, 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 click. And so what is now doing is it has formed us into what I call cursory creatures. And listen, God did not create you to be a cursory creature. God created you to be a beholding being. You see nothing in the Bible about uh, 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 having cursory experiences with God. In fact, we sang today, when I survey the wondrous cross. God created us to be beholding beings. You see it over and over in scripture. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John 1, 29. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Do you just talk about the love of God? Just talk. Ah, God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. But your life is showing that you don't really understand what that is. Psalm 63 verse 2 says, I saw him in the sanctuary and I what? beheld his power and his glory. Oh, I love Psalm 27 verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And what? And behold. Are we beholding the Lord? It's one thing to look. It's one thing to consider. It's another thing to behold. For when we are in a place where we behold the Lord, that reality matters more than any other kind of reality. The disciples said they saw the word, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And then it says that what? We beheld his glory as one of the only begotten. God did not create you to be a cursory creature. God created you to be a beholding being. 
And that is where we start to see him. Man, I don't know about you. I want that. I want it. I know there are many times in my life I lost it. And it is shameful that you can be a bona fide preacher, expositing the word, teaching people theology. And yet, your life, when it comes to God, is a very functional relationship. It's all about descriptions. How do we get there? Psalm 46 tells us there is a secret. How do you know that there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God? Whilst there is chaos happening all around. He says the way you do that is you do the exact opposite of the chaos. Verse 10. Be still. Be what? Still. Let's say it together. Be still. Be still. The very opposite of, of hurry sickness is to be still. Because it is in stillness that we get enchantment. That is why somebody can look at a picture and appreciate what you are not seeing. That is why someone can look at a piece of art and notice what you are not seeing. The person provides context. What, what, what was the date that, that this thing was painted? What was happening around that time? What, was, what makes this thing radical? And then tears start coming down their eyes. You don't, be, you don't click on beauty. You behold beauty. And you must be still to see that. God says there is another reality that you can behold, but you need to be what? Still. He said because if you do that, that being still leads to another form of knowledge. Be still and know. But most of us, here's how we live our lives. It's not be still and know that I am God. We do it this way. Be still and know that there is God. But if it was, I know that there is a God, it would not be be still that will come before it. It will be be informed. Be informed and know that there is God. So you have all the arguments. You have all the exposition. You have all of those things. You have all the principles. We have everything that we can apply because we are just trying to be informed. And being informed is a good thing. It's an important thing. But the highest level of knowledge is to know that there is God. That I am God. At that point, God is not trying to take it from the abstract. He's pushed it to the personal. Be still and know I am. There is an I. When it is there is God, it is that thing that is there that we don't have to go near but we can actually study he says be still and know I am God are you having a relationship with the description of God are you having a relationship with the description of what God has done for you I'm not taking a dig at anyone but many times you know in church as a pastor you get complaints here and there and one of the complaints that comes sometimes from some group of people is that, oh, these songs are just too repetitive. They're just too repetitive. I don't like songs where we just sing one line. It's mindless. Oh, you are making a mistake. Because sometimes repetitive songs where you have the same thing said over and over again. The person who, is, who has been still and know that there is God, when they are seeing that thing, when they are saying that thing, more realities are opening up. The angels and the seraphs before God do not say, oh, our God, how magnificent, how wonderful, and the Lord who came in Christ, and the Lord, you know what they just say? Holy. 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 You, follower of God and Christ, when last did you just sit down and just say, holy, holy, holy. What are you seeing? Because let me tell you, if you are not seeing that, you are in an incomprehensible, an incomplete form of reality. 
May the Lord snap you back to reality. Be still and know that there is God. How do we do that? Let me introduce you to something very quickly. We'll talk a little bit more about it next week. But that takes us back to Jesus and this passage. Because it says, Jesus, whilst it was still dark in the morning, he got up, he got up, he left the house and went to a solitary place to pray. When Jesus was doing this, Jesus was very concerned about the reality that a whole night of healing people was going to minister to him. Even Satan says, if you are the son of God, do this thing. Many voices are telling us who we are. And we snap back to reality by living and going to be in a place of God. You know, there have been ancient practices that many times, especially we in our, you know, evangelical, Pentecostal, pragmatic kind of Christianity, we look down on and we just, we just say all of these things, this mystical stuff and all of that. But when you go back to it, you realize these people had something. And actually, it has everything to do with Scripture. Let me tell you a little bit about an ancient practice. It's called solitude and silence. Solitude and silence. Now, when I say solitude and silence, I am not talking about loneliness and muteness. Because it can be read that way. Just be lonely and just be mute. No. You see, the problem with loneliness and muteness is this. The people who are lonely and the people who are mute, it happens involuntarily. Either because of their personalities or because of unfortunate circumstances. Some people, personality-wise, this is just the personality they've inherited. They just like staying away from people. They just don't like talking to people. That is not solitude and silence. That is not something you've chosen in a way. It's just who you are. But for some people that are lonely right now, they don't want to be lonely. They don't want to be on their own. Maybe their own personality has pushed people away. Maybe certain decisions have been made and that's pushed people away. And so they are mute in their loneliness, not because they choose. That's not solitude and silence. Solitude and silence is something that is deliberately chosen for a specific purpose. Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place. He exercised his will to do it. So what is solitude and silence? Let me give you two, uh, the definition by a wonderful lady that has really helped me in this thing. Her name is Ruth Haley Barton. Ruth Haley Barton says, solitude is the practice, and I'm paraphrasing, change the definition a little bit. But solitude is the practice of deliberately withdrawing from our life in the company of others. Whereas silence is the practice of withdrawing from our addiction to noise, words, and activity in solitude. Let me take that back. What is, what is solitude? Solitude is to withdraw. Is to withdraw from our life in the company of others. For some of us, you know, the reason why our lives, the anxiety is there because we live our lives too much with people. And then we want to quickly just have a short prayer. How many of you know when we say, let us pray? What you are just thinking about is when is prayer ending? How many of us, when we are praying, are we not just focusing on the words? We are not actually communing with him. 
And that's because we've been stimulated by people. So Jesus, having been stimulated by people all night, decided I am going to leave people. And the first thing I'm going to do is to put myself in a place to be with God. Because many scientists have shown that the first thing you give your attention to in the day is the thing that most likely will govern the thoughts of your day and your emotions. So Jesus got up early in the morning. He withdrew from people, not just to withdraw from people, but so that he can be with what? He can be with who? God. But what about silence? Why? Is it not for us to just go and start kabashing and talking, talking? There's a place for those kinds of prayers. And maybe sometime this year, maybe we'll talk about different kinds of prayers. But there is a kind of prayer that says, because again, now, in that time, there was, there was addiction to noise. Now, we are, noise is, sounds and activities, we are on steroids. Is it possible to be still with noise? I've been doing this for a few months now, early in the morning. First thing I do, 10 minutes, no words. And I can't tell you, I can tell you, it is difficult. We'll talk a little bit more about it next week, but it is difficult. But when I get it, oh my God, your life can never be the same. It's not just about revelation, it's just you are centering yourself. And it's, as we center ourselves, all of a sudden, we start to see God. We start to actually see God. And it is in that place you can truly pray like Jesus did because. When Jesus prayed, you know what? We say prayer is talking to God. Abby, he actually saw God and then he spoke to God. Is it contrary to what we believe? I love a, another pastor. His name is Tyler Slayton. Listen to what he says. He says, contrary to popular belief, prayer doesn't begin with us. It begins with God. Prayer doesn't begin with talking. It begins with seeing. Oftentimes we think that the prayer thing is initiated when we start talking. But actually, that's not the truth. God was already there before. But it's not true prayer if you are not even trying to see God. Listen, I have two boys. My boys, when they're in school, they don't talk to me. You know why they don't talk to me? Because they don't see me. When my boys now come to my office, they open the door, they see daddy, then they start talking. Many of us in our prayer, we just talk. We don't see God. Am I lying? Prayer starts with first seeing God. So what have you been praying about? Who have you been praying to? Have you seen him? Have you seen him? He's saying be still. Because busyness and hurry stops us from being still. And it's in that stillness that we see him. It's in that stillness that we behold him. Don't you want to behold the beauty of the Lord? Let me tell you, these things are not fictional words. When David says, I beheld, I want to behold the beauty of the Lord. It is true. God is beautiful. But have we spent the time? Have we sacrificed? Have we looked in ourselves to put ourselves in a position to actually gaze on that? Or do we just spend, ah, okay. PF said that God is beautiful. I'm looking, God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? I can't say anything. The sky is beautiful, shall I? Okay, let's move on. You sacrifice that patience until you see something. Final thing I want to say is this. Truly, why I say all of these things is because prayer is rooted in what is the greatest promise of all. The greatest what? Promise 
of all. What is the greatest promise in all of Scripture? The greatest promise in all of Scripture is actually the most frequently repeated promise in all of Scripture. It is by a mile the number one promise. Like the second does not even come close in terms of the frequency. The greatest promise in all of Scripture. Let me tell you, the greatest promise in all of Scripture is not this. It's not I will provide for you. It's not I will make you significant. It's not I will make, I'll keep you safe. It's not I will make you a blessing. It's not I will make you strong. It's not I will make you wise. It's not I will make you lead. It's not I will make you married. It's not I will give you kids. It's not I will keep you from trouble. That is not it. Five words. The greatest promise in all of scripture. I will be with you. I will be with you. You say, well, yeah, but a four-bedroom flat in Ikoi seems actually better, Lord. Again, part of the problem is our seeing. For those of us who are in a relationship, for those of us who are married, for those of us who have kids, we know what I'm talking about. You see, I can give gifts to my Valentine is coming. I'm not saying that my wife will get one. It may, she may not. You know, we've been married for 13 years, 12, 13 years. So, so at that point, it doesn't really matter again, right? All those who are in the um, 10 plus category, I think that's what we're even talking about today. Does Valentine, after 10 years, does it matter? May God help us in this economy. The first thing to go is Valentine, honestly. But assuming my wife gets a Valentine gift from me. No, we're just saying, well, let's say there was a world where she got a Valentine gift from me next week. She would like the gift. She would appreciate the gift. On her birthday, she would get a gift. She would like the gift. We give gifts to our friends. In fact, maybe if it's a birthday, a special birthday, you don't get from someone that is really close to you, you feel a bit one kind. But don't misunderstand getting a gift to feel that that means that the gift is the best thing. Actually, the gift is a lesser thing. The reason why you appreciate that gift, the gift is the lesser thing, is because it is coming from the gift giver. And that gift giver is the greater gift. They first gave themselves to you before they now gave you gifts by giving themselves to you. Are you following me? Because there's a way you can collect gifts from somebody that, your spouse that doesn't talk to you, doesn't do anything, doesn't spend time, doesn't, all of those things. But when it's your birthday, they buy you a car and they put it on Instagram there. In fact, in some ways, the gift becomes a distraction. The gift becomes a hindrance between you and them. Are you following? The reason why we love gifts is that first we have received that person and it is in receiving that person that that person now gives out of the love that they have for us. Are you following me? The greatest gift my wife has given me is none of the gifts she has given me. The greatest gift she has given me is the gift of herself because she doesn't have anything costlier than herself. God cannot give you anything costlier than himself. The greatest gift he has given you. That is why Jesus truly is God incarnate. He said he who did not spare his only son. There is no greater gift than to give than himself. He gave you himself. He gave you the Holy Spirit. God himself is the greatest gift. Even at the end of time, he says that we will be with the Lord forever. I will be their God and they will be my people. There is no greater gift than God himself. And it is replete throughout all of scripture. When God met Abraham, he says, Abraham, Abraham, he said in Genesis 15 verse 1, he says, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid. I am your shield and your what? Your exceeding great reward. God could not give Abraham a better reward than God himself. 
The Levites were called the ones that were going to do the holy things of God. And somebody could feel sorry for the Levites because the Levites were not given any allotment, any land allotment in the whole of the Israelites. Why? Don't feel sorry for them. They got the best gift. In Deuteronomy 10 verse 9, it says this, that this is why the Levites have no share in inheritance among their fellow Israelites. The Lord is their inheritance. We say it all the time. It has become our confession. What possession in heaven is better than that of the Lord? He says, whom have I in heaven but you? And the earth has nothing I desire besides you. Though my heart and my flesh may fail. Oh, I know this. God is the strength of my heart. And what? He is my portion forever. God is the greatest gift he can give to you. Maybe my favorite one is Psalm 16. Where we say that the boundary lines have fallen onto me in pleasant places. Many times we quote that scripture so that maybe God can give us a house. Maybe God can give us land. Maybe God can give us a wife. Maybe God can give us something. But what did he mean? How do you know that the boundary lines of the allotment has fallen for you in better places? You did not read verse 5. Verse 5 is before it says, Lord, you alone are what? My portion. Who wants the Lord as his portion? You don't have to wait for it to happen because in prayer, what happens is this. The established relationship that God has already made with you, you can experience the Lord that is your portion. He's not withholding himself from you. He's giving to you. But there are many things in front of us that is stopping us from experiencing him. And so he says, take it away. Take it away. I am here. Prayer is simply showing up for a date with God when he's already been there. He's already there. Don't just think about the covenant promise that he made with you through Christ Jesus. Yes, the covenant promise, I will be with you. But the way he outworks the covenant promise is by giving you his presence. Be still. For the glory of the Lord is in this place. I want us to just sing this hymn together and then we're going to do something different today. We're going to pray, but I'll lead you in what is like a guided meditation. I really believe that we can experience God here today. I'm not going to define what that experience is going to be. But I really believe that God is going to show himself to some of us in, on, in the way only he can. But guys, right now we are standing on holy ground. It's holy not because the concrete here is nice, not because the lights here are nice. Not because the building looks so good. But the presence of the Holy One is here. And he asks us to be still. Start praying even right now with this song.
this moment at all because in the song it says that there is that the power of God is here and he's able to heal and he's able to cleanse and the Lord is going to deal with our hurry with our anxiety even now we don't even have to call and say God deal with it by being still he will be doing certain things in us dealing with the disappointments dealing with the anxiety dealing with the idols Dealing with the bitterness, the presence of the Lord is here. Be still for the presence of the Lord. The Holy Word is here. us to do a few things. If you feel uncomfortable doing it, please don't do it. But I found this really helpful. As we try to 
see the Lord and experience his presence. One of the things that really can help is the power of just breathing in and breathing out. We already do that, but to focus, to take deep breaths in and deep breaths out, what it does is that it allows us to focus on our breathing. We sing a song that says it's your breath in our lungs. That breath is God that gives us. Jesus breathed upon his disciples before sending them on the commission. He said he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. And so when we take deep breaths in, I want us to think about some of the scriptures we are saying and then we exhale with all of the negative things that we can think about. We are trying to center ourselves so that as we breathe, take deep breaths in, we are thinking about the breath, but we are thinking about the giver of the breath. And I want to say, don't expect yourself to experience something here or there. No, we're just trying to be still. This is not a time of asking. This is not a time for seeking requests. This is a time of experiencing God. This is not a time for knowing. There is the knowing of the promises and knowing of the scriptures. This is a time of experiencing the presence. So I'm going to ask you to take a deep breath in. And as you breathe out, just breathe out the distractions in your mind. Breathe in a sense of God's presence now. Breathe out all the bad fears that you have. See, in Isaiah 6, verse 1 to 3, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and his train, the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. These magnificent beings in the holy presence of the Lord, the place where God has said, You can come into now by the blood of the Lamb. But I don't want you to focus on the greatness of the being, I want you to focus on these great beings who they think is great. And they were calling to one another, Holy. Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. If you would like, just taking a deep breath in. And when you breathe out, just say, holy. Breathe in. Breathe out and say, holy. See the Lord on his throne. Don't worry that he's so far away. He's so far away and yet he's near. He's near you. Because Christ has opened up that way for us. John 14 verse 23. He says, anyone who loves me, my father will love them. And he will come to them and make our home with them. wondering where we are silent. In the presence of the temple of the Lord, Habakkuk 2 verse 20 says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him.
this silence now. God is speaking to you. God is touching people here. For some of us, it is now we are seeing God for the first time. And if you want to stay in a posture of reception, some of you may just want to put your hands forward as a way to receive all that God is giving you now. For some of us, we may want to stand. For some of us, we may want to kneel. Take whatever posture makes you are most comfortable with. Now in our next phase of breathing, I want us to think. I want your heart to be filled with desire for him. But it must be anchored in truth. Psalm 20, 73 verse 23 says, Yet I am always with you. The only reason we are with him is because he was already there with us. Whilst mother and father may forsake us, husband may forsake us, some of them are deceased, not by their own choice. He is always with you. There is one that will not forsake you. He is holding you. He is guiding you with his counsel. Whom have I in heaven but you? The earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Breathe in, receiving that he's truly your portion. And breathe out every idol that you have tried to make your portion. Breathe in the one who is your greatest desire. Breathe out whether it is your achievement, whether it is your status, whether it's your reputation. Breathe them out. Psalm 137, 17 to 18 says, How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. But when I awake, I am still with you. I am still with you. I am still with you. Not because we are faithful, but because he is faithful. Breathe in, thinking about the faithfulness of God. Breathe out all the things that make you unfaithful to him. Finally, we'll just contemplate his face. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding, beholding, beholding the glory of the Lord. It's best seen in the face of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is God to us saying, no matter how much you say, no matter how, even at this moment, you feel distracted. If you feel that your mind has wandered off, don't worry. The grace of Jesus brings you back. Just gently come back to him. And some of us, as we are contemplating, we say, why am I distracted? Why am I distracted? Don't you see that no matter how many times you come back to him, he's always with you. He's always with you. If you've been distracted 20 times now, you can still come back and behold his face. Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image 
from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You came in here maybe anxious. You came in here unformed. But as you are contemplating his face, his glory now, is actually transforming you. To breathe in the transformation of the Lord. Whatever that is that is going on deep in your soul, and breathe out all the things you don't want in your life now. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Everything Turn your eyes to the morning. Turn your eyes to the morning. Turn your eyes to the morning. 
join us in the mission of renewing Lagos with the gospel by sharing it, rating this podcast and following us. These actions help us reach more people with the gospel. You can also connect with us on various social media platforms via the handle at City Church Lagos. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.